this morning, I want to make a special welcome to a group who's here. Uh, over here in this section, there's a whole bunch of people that I went to Bible college with. You guys just wave, just wave. It's awesome. You know, um, this is really sort of something that came out of the blue, and uh, I'm, I'm shocked at it myself. I think we're all a little shocked at it. But uh, just uh, sort of an impromptu sort of class-ish reunion came, just happened. And it's happening today here in Moose Jaw, so uh, this is pretty awesome. Um, now, don't, you don't need to ask them what I was like when I was in Bible college. <laughs> all of them will tell you I was very studious, deeply spiritual, no time for goofing around. That, they'll tell you that. So you just skip that step. You don't need to ask them. All right. I have about as much dirt on all of them as they have on me, so I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling safe. Mutual assured destruction. I think that's what they call it. <laughs> no, it's incredible. I'm, my heart is full. Well, uh, let me just jump into things here. For several weeks, we've been talking about discipleable me. Discipleable me. And yes, we ripped off someone else's, uh, you know, we're, it's, a, it's a riff off of a movie series you might know. Uh, and also, we made up a word. Discipleable is not really a word that's in the dictionary, but we made it up just for you, just for this series. And, um, of course, it relates to being a disciple. And uh, so we've been talking about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. A disciple is someone who seeks to become like their master through obeying their teaching and through imitating their life. And Jesus called people not to be fans or admirers, but he called people to be disciples. Dallas Willard, had this quote, I've been saying it probably every time I get up to speak on this, is, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Let me say it again. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. What would your life be like if Jesus was the one living it? That's the process we're in, is a, is a process of surrender to Jesus, of a process of obedience to Jesus, of a process of uh, dependence on Jesus in order for him uh, to change us, to disciple us in, and uh, form us into his image. Because you are changing. You are changing. You are always, even in some small, maybe imperceptible way, changing. You are being formed. So that's not the question, if you, if you are changing or not. The question is, who or what is forming you? Who or what is changing you? What is the influence? Is it Jesus, or is it something else, or is it many other things? So that's what we're talking about in this series. What are the things that followers of Jesus do or are called to do to become more like Jesus in their character, in their actions, and their values. So far, we've said that we've used G words for this series. The disciples gathered, disciples group, disciples grow. And today, I was going to talk about how disciples give. But I think a lot of people, when you say give, well, then they think, oh, it's a money talk. Well, I'm not going to talk about money today. That's not my focus. So I'm just going to alter it a little bit. Um, because we would often say, you know, what we're offering to God is our time, our talents, and our treasure. And I'm not going to talk about the treasure one today. We've, we won't shy away from that when it's time to talk about that. But I want to talk about the other two, giving with your time and abilities. And I'm just going to say it differently. Disciples of Jesus serve. Serve is the operative word I'm going to use today. So followers of Jesus or his disciples are called to humbly serve like Jesus did. But there is something inside of us that tends to get in the way. And let's, let's find out about that. Philippians 2.3 said, do, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain 
conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So what's the thing that stands in the way of humbly serving others? It's our own selfish ambition and vain conceit. Now, selfish ambition, it means like longing for something you want for your personal gain. And vain conceit, well, vain conceit is pretty funny because it's like it's having a sense of pride, but there's no real basis to it. Maybe call it arrogance or whatever. And this is a problem for all humanity. This is a problem for all humanity. See, when selfish ambition and vain conceit are running your life, it means you're doing everything to promote yourself, it's to promote me, to put me in the best light, to get what I want. But humility, on, on the other hand, measures everything not by how it will stroke my ego or enhance my reputation or give me an advantage, but by how it will serve the good of others. So everyone struggles with this at some level. In fact, the very first story of sin and selfishness in the Bible is a story that includes selfish ambition and vain conceit. Because it's when Adam and Eve are tempted by the promise that if they eat a particularly eye-opening forbidden fruit, they will become knowledgeable and wise and truly great. Of course, their selfish ambition and vain conceit didn't make them great. It led to guilt, shame, fear, and ultimately death. So everyone struggles with this desire. Everyone does. Uh, everyone, especially someone like me, I struggle with this, this, this desire. You know, my last name is Atkins, which is a disadvantage in life. I mean, quickly, word association. When you hear the name Atkins, just if you heard it just like that, what comes to, oh, oh, I heard it already. What, what comes to mind? Diet, right. A life where you don't get to eat any carbs. <laughs> I mean, how great can a, peop- a person be with a name like that? So I could try to compensate. I could, I could post something on social media that puts me and my unfortunate last name in a much better light. And maybe I'll get some likes from that. Or some people will want to add me as a friend. And that'll feel good and, and for a while. And in fact, it, maybe it's a little bit addictive. And so then I'll, I'll keep doing it again and again. And soon I'm waking up every day saying, how can I make Atkins great again? <laughs> I mean, make Atkins great again is, is a big slogan. It's a, it's, a, it's a great life goal. You know, maybe I could just shorten it to an acrostic, you know, just the acrostic, you know, M-A-G-A, and just people... And if, I, if it's that short, it would fit on a hat. And then, you know, I'd just get a, you know, I'd need a color that grabs attention, maybe red or something. Anyhow, and if I put on this hat, then people would come up and say, well, what does that mean? And say, MAGA? Well, it means make Atkins great again. And that's my life goal. Or I could just admit that I struggle with selfish ambition and vain conceit. Now, just disclaimer, if you don't know me, I'm not making a political statement, just in case. Uh, Everyone in our church, we all vote differently. We have different political views. What unites us is that Jesus has called each and every one of us to be his disciple. And as disciples of Jesus, we're called to value others above ourselves and serve them in humility. So what things can help us fight selfish ambition and vain conceit 
to become a servant like Jesus? Well, the first thing is Jesus' teaching is so helpful in this regard. Jesus, Jesus used uh, teachable moments with his own disciples. You know, even those who were closest to Jesus struggled with selfish motivations. And so he used uh, different teachable moments to help them to see a different way to live. Here's Mark 10, 35. Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him. Uh, by the way, Jesus had a nickname for these guys. He called them the Sons of Thunder. Best Bible nickname ever. It's so cool. So teacher, they said, or actually I should say it like Sons of Thunder would. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Okay, I'm not going to do that again. That was a failure. <laughs> what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So they're talking about Jesus' glory, but the truth is they wanted to ride on the coattails of Jesus' greatness for their own glory. They were looking to make themselves great by association. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? In essence, he's asking them about giving up the right to run their own lives. We can, they answered just like macho sons of thunder would. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the ten, those are Jesus' other disciples, heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, truthfully, they probably wished they had thought of it first or maybe had the boldness to even ask. But Jesus called them together, this is the teachable moment, and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Now, I mean, it's, it's not a big deal if leaders uh, exercise authority. They've been given authority, and they need to exercise authority to fulfill their responsibilities. But I think it's clarified here with this line, the rulers of the Gentile lord it over them. So the way they're exercising authority is full of selfish ambition and vain conceit. It's a, I'm the boss, I've got the office, I'm in charge, I'm the man, do you even know who you're talking to? Kind of authority. Now, before we get down on Gentiles, the Jewish leaders were no different. The Jewish leaders... Um, had a confrontation. In fact, it was the teachers of the law, or maybe you could call them the lawyers of that day, had a confrontation with Jesus, and he just nailed them to the wall with the truth of how they were leading. Matthew 23, 4 is the statement. I love it. He says, you load men with burdens, and you don't lift a finger to help. That's not the kind of leadership that Jesus was, was promoting and prescribing for his followers. I want to go on a quick rabbit trail, but I'll come back. You know, there's a funny trend on social media of women encouraging other women to ask their husbands this question. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? It's a trend on, on TikTok. I saw it the other day, and I was looking at it, and I thought, this is, this is crazy. You know, the, the neat part about it is they do ask their husbands that question, and then they make videos. They are super surprised by their answers, they're thinking, well, my husband's never mentioned the Roman Empire, so the answer is going to be never. And then they find out, well, their husbands say things like, well, regularly, or, you know, every week. Some even say, I think about the Roman Empire every day. 
That's a fun little thing you can try at home. <laughs> Jesus' disciples couldn't go a day without thinking about the Roman Empire because Rome had conquered Israel. The symbols of their authority were everywhere. In fact, any Roman soldier could interrupt your day and demand that you carry their heavy pack for a mile. So they knew what it was for rulers to lord over them. But Jesus didn't want them to take their cues about how they led and how they lived from the Roman Empire or from the religious Jewish leaders who elevated themselves above the people. Jesus wanted them to be thinking about the kingdom he was building, which was so different from the Roman Empire and would outlast the Roman Empire. Jesus' kingdom would turn how to be great upside down. Let's get back to the scriptures. So I said, Jesus said, you know rulers, you know these rulers who lorded over them, and verse 43 says, not so with you. This is not how it's going to be for those who follow me. This is not how it's going to be for my disciples. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must become servant of all. Jesus was saying that greatness for my disciples is by serving, serving each other, and identifying as servants. It isn't just that we, we serve. It's that that becomes our identity. It's formative. See, sometimes we, we answer sort of the first question. You say, how can I serve? We might even say in a church context, how can I volunteer at Hillcrest Church? It's a great question. It's an awesome question. If you haven't found a place to volunteer, call into the office. We'll help you. Um, and that's great. But the deeper question is, how can I become a servant like Jesus in my life? This showed up in not just Jesus' teaching, but his followers' teachings. Like the Apostle Paul, it shows up again and again. Second Corinthians 5.15, Paul's saying, And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Living for themselves, what's that? That's selfish ambition. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So give up selfish ambition and live for Jesus. Then 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for, for Jesus' sake. So again, Paul saw himself as a servant of others because, of, because Jesus was his Lord. 2 Corinthians 9, 19 says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So Jesus had brought such freedom into Paul's life by breaking off Paul's chains. Now, many chains. Included in those many chains that we have in our lives are the chains of selfish ambition and vain conceit. They keep you in bondage. They stop you from serving. They stop you from living a life of love. Have you ever experienced that thing where you're just like, I want to serve, and then you sort of run out of gas, not necessarily even in your energy, but you run out in your willpower or your desire. Say, I just want, I want some me time. I, I, I really don't, I'm really not, you know. You find in yourself there's a limitation in your ability to serve. I think we all experience that. Well, 
God's desire is through a process of discipling us in our lives is that we experience a freedom in this area, a greater and greater freedom, a greater ability to serve longer and through more difficult circumstances and with greater love in our hearts for others, a willingness to set aside our own agenda for the agenda that God puts in our path. So when he's free, so Paul has become free, the crazy thing is he turns around and he serves everyone. Why? So they can be free too. Paul has discovered that a life of love and service to others is really the freest life of all. And here's the last line in that text we were looking about Jesus, how he's the teachable moment. He caps it off with this. He says, even the Son of Man, that's the term that Jesus used to refer to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus came to serve humanity in the most costly, sacrificial way possible. So he didn't come to be served. He came to serve us. You know, we need a servant who died for us. We need his service. We need, we need a servant who sustains us. You know, God serves you every day of your life with heartbeats and breath and food and the sun that rises and rain and the Holy Spirit to enable you to do what you need to do. And he lavishes forgiveness on you. We are being served every day, all day long, by one from whom we deserve nothing. That should affect us to be servants. Freely we have received, and now Jesus calls us to freely give. So the teaching of Jesus, which declares that, great, that true greatness comes from humility and service, that can help us. When he says, don't just serve, but, but see yourself as a servant of one another and, and a servant of all. That's super helpful. The second thing that really helps us to fight selfish ambition and vain conceit is the example of Jesus. Here's another Jesus story, John 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Hmm. So the example of Jesus, he showed them, he said, like, I'm the leader. I'm the one who has authority. I'm the master. You're the disciples. I'm the one teaching you. Yet when we came into this place, and there was, because it was the job of the servant to wash dusty feet, Right? People get very dusty walking in the, you know, the dirt streets of Jerusalem. And so, that's what you do. You come in, a servant would wash your feet, get them all refreshed, and that was great. But that was the lowest job 
It was the job of the lowest one in the house. And maybe if there's no servant there, then it could be the job of the, the, in the disciples of the lowest of the disciples. But none of the disciples jumped forward to do this job. And so Jesus, who would be the highest in the pecking order, set the example. And he said, I want you to do this. I want you to wash each other's feet. Well, there's no, we don't really wash each other's feet in our culture. There's lots of ways you can wash others' feet. I ran into a friend of mine last night, had just come back from a hard day of helping someone move from one house to another, and I told him, I'm, I'm talking about servanthood tomorrow. And he said, you know what the modern version of washing other people's feet is? He said, as he was exhausted, <laughs> helping people move. That's the modern day of one. So that was his, his feedback and contribution. I thought that was great. You know, eight years ago, when I stepped into this role as lead pastor, and there's a transition between Pastor Dave Wicks and myself, um, I was given a gift. Uh, and it was a great gift. I was given a towel. Now, it's interesting. I'm looking at my small towel that I was given, and I realized that Jesus had a towel that would go all the way around him, and I'm pretty sure this one doesn't. But, you know, maybe the budget was tight back then. Uh, anyhow, I was given a towel, an incredible gift. And, you know, I, I've never found out the backstory fully to this gift. And so I just went there in my imagination. I tried to imagine what the backstory might have been. I imagined that there was a meeting, obviously, of some of the leaders in the church. And they said, okay, Steve's going to be the new lead pastor. Well, let's make sure, let's give him a good gift. Let's give him a towel. That will have significance for him. Probably he'll remember the story about Jesus and, and washing feet and the towel, and that will that'll speak to him. And then, as the meeting went on, I bet somebody said, wait a second. This is Steve we're talking about. He's a little slow sometimes. Are you sure he's going to get it? Are you sure he's going to understand about servant leadership? we got to spell it out for him. Make it really clear. Yeah, how could we do that? Oh, let's just spell it out on the towel. Yeah, that's a great idea. That way, that way Steve won't, won't, won't uh, you know, misunderstand. And so you guys did. He spelled it out on the towel. It says a cross, and then it says, appointed to serve. That's great. That's great. And then um, I bet the meeting went on a little bit longer, and then someone else said, Steve might still not get it. <laughs> we we got to really make it clear. Yeah, we just got to paint the picture of what we're looking for in a leader. And so they said, yeah, yeah how can we do that? I know. Let's hire Laura Blackman to literally paint the picture because Steve needs that kind of help. Anyhow, so Laura Blackman painted a wonderful picture. Quite an amazing, I love this picture. I don't know. Here we go. And it's a picture. It's a picture. I'm going to take it back down in a second because I don't want it to fall. But it's a picture of someone washing someone's feet. And this is in my office every day, and, it's, uh, and the towel is on a, on a little table below it. And so I can see this every day in my office. You know, it's the best sermon I ever heard from my church. I mean, usually I'm preaching once to you, but this was a great sermon that you guys preached to me, basically. Was that all leadership in Jesus' kingdom is servant leadership. There's no place, there's no platform, there's no position or elevation that changes that. It doesn't matter how many people are... Um, that you're responsible for or that might be following you, no matter where you go in Jesus' kingdom, all leadership 
it's servant leadership. And that your role is you need to go low in order to lift others up. There's an incredible message that I heard from you. Now, I, I have a tendency to kick my feet out a little bit, so I don't want to knock this over, so I'm going to put it down. But the example of Jesus is that Jesus didn't just, he didn't just talk the talk. He, he, he definitely walked out the reality as well. And he left an example for his followers that he was walking with then and also for us today. So we have, the exa- we have Jesus' teaching. We have Jesus' example. I want to give you one more thing that I think is really crucial is that Jesus' mindset Jesus' mindset. So let's go back to Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You know, that's, did you know that's a possibility for you? To have the same mindset of, as, as Jesus? Who, being in the very nature God, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to something to be used to his own advantage. In some of the older translations, it says something to be grasped. I like that, the, the idea of uh, grasping or, or getting an advantage or, you know, like, it's clear, clarifying for me. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Again, it's costly, sacrificial service. So having the same mindset of Christ. Well, what is the mindset? So it says he, he, he was in very nature God, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or something to be grasped. Um, the more you grasp... Let's use that first. The more you grasp, grasp is a great word because it works two ways, right? You can grasp something intellectually, like you get it. You can also grasp something physically. You also get it, like you grab it, you know? And I feel like that's, that's helpful to me in, in, in how I think about this. It's like the more you grasp what you already have in your relationship to, to God, the less you're going to be grasping to get that same uh, thing from other people. The more you understand what Jesus has done for you, the more you understand how Jesus has served you, the more you understand how Jesus has elevated you. I mean, there's incredible... Concepts, you know, where in the scriptures where it just talks about, like, for those who believe, for those who put their trust in Jesus, for trust in what Jesus has done for them by his death on the cross, his sacrificial death, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his taking our place that we deserved. When we get that, when that gets, when that, we get that and we respond to that and then it, it, it sinks and soaks deeper and deeper and deeper into us, we're changed. It changes us. Because you realize that the thing you were grasping for with selfish ambition and vain conceit, you've received through relationship with Christ. You know, in looking at service, I, 
I couldn't help but think about someone who's been held up as a model of service in the Christian community for decades, and that's Mother Teresa. She was a, you know, she and a sisterhood of, of nuns, Catholic nuns, they served in India, Calcutta, I believe it was, and um, anyhow, lots has been written about them. So I just sort of went online and did a little bit of reading, and um, it's very interesting they said about Mother Teresa. They said that, uh, an associate of her said this, she is free to be nothing, so God can use her for anything. She is free to be nothing. Just like Jesus made himself nothing. He went to the, which means he, he lowered himself to the lowest place. I think about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. What about that moment when he gets to Judas's feet? And he knows, this is the guy that is going to betray me with a kiss. He knows in a little while, he's going to be in the garden, and their soldiers are going to rush in, and they're going to say, which one of these guys is Jesus? We're here to arrest him. And his own friend that he has poured his life into, that he has served, and that he washed his feet, is going to come up and kiss him on the cheek, the kiss of betrayal that will lead to his death. Jesus knows that when he's washing his feet. How do you serve those people? Jesus made himself nothing. We, sometimes when we have, we have sort of, you know, sunshiny pictures of service that Everyone we serve is going to really be deserving. Or they'll be grateful. Or they'll be likable. Or they won't ask too much. But Jesus said as an example, he, it's the picture is, he, he who is God lowered himself to the lowest position made himself nothing. Mother Teresa said this, or she had a conviction that all people deep down in their heart believe in God. I thought that was crazy when I first read it. I thought, no, that's not true. Lots of people don't believe in God. What was Mother Teresa getting at? And so I read further because I thought, okay, there must be more to this. She said, all people deep down in their heart believe in God. There's, and, and so there's, this is what she thought. There's a longing for God in each of us, and though it may not be recognized or consciously expressed as such, the search for joy, for peace, for happiness, and above all for love is a manifestation of this longing. We're looking, we're looking for God without knowing we're looking for God. It's like that saying, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. When all the things that we're really searching for are found in relationship with him. A little bit more from Mother Teresa. Though the desire or hunger for God, she called it hunger for God as Mother Teresa expressed it, is implanted in every human heart. Entering into a relationship with him depends largely on our cooperation with him. I mean, he's given us freedom to cooperate or not. He's not forced on us. I love that Revelation 3.20 where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If any man hears my voice and opens the door, if any man, woman, boy or girl, hears the invitation of Jesus to come into relationship with him, basically, if you open the door of your life, he'll come in and bring those things that begin to bring into your life those things that you've been hungry for, the joy, the peace, the happiness, and the love that we all search for and that we all long for. But he gives us freedom. He does not force himself on anyone. He leaves it to our choice. This is what Mother Teresa said. The, the, the response befitting a creature before its creator, who is infinite love and wisdom, ought to be one of love and trust, praise and adoration, recognition and thanksgiving. Loved so greatly by God, each person is called to share that love. Loved so greatly by God, each person is called to share that love. As Mother Teresa often affirmed, we have been created for greater things, to love and to be loved. To love as God loves, meeting daily with him. Here's the last thing when it comes to serving. To serve, to truly serve, and to love, and to truly love, We need, we, we need a dependent posture before God. We need to be in a posture of receiving. If you want to give, if you want to be able to have something to give, if you want to be able to give like the New Testament describes giving, you need that from God. And so this isn't a talk about, hey, you should serve more. Like this is the Lions Club or the Kiwanis. not denigrating those. Great that people do that. But this is that Jesus is calling you into an adventure. He's calling you into a life of love. He's calling you into a life of service. And it's a life of freedom. The chains of selfish ambition, the chains of vain conceit, he wants to break in each one of our lives. No longer slaves to just getting for me or exalting myself or trying to get a one-up advantage over others. But actually being able to be like Jesus in our character, in our motivations, in our values. He wants that for you. He wants that for you. And he's calling you to come to be his disciple and to experience the transformation that he has for you. And today, if you're here and you're hearing what I'm saying and you're saying, okay, I have not come to that point where I've, like, I'm not Jesus' disciple. Maybe you'd say that today. And that's great if you're being just honest with that. We're thrilled you're here still. But if you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, that could all change today. I mean, he's calling you to come. His invitation is as real today as it's always been. So many of us at certain points in our lives, we've heard that call on our life that he says, come, follow me. And, we have, and we've chosen to follow him. So today, you could make that decision. You could make that decision to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to put aside my own agenda, and I'm going to choose what he's got for me instead. And maybe if that's where you're at right now, then I, I'd encourage you. I'm going to just pray a prayer. I'm going to invite you all to repeat it after me. But for some of you, it's just going to be a daily commitment. You've made this commitment before, and it's a great reaffirmation of that commitment. 
But maybe for some of you, this might be a first time where you considered Jesus' call in your life, his love for you, his sacrificial death on the cross. You know, he, when he died on the cross, he took your sin and my sin on himself and offers an exchange that you could have a perfect track record with God. That's crazy, especially for people like myself. I know all the things I've done. I know that I don't deserve a, a perfect track record with God, but that he offers it as a gift is incredible. I, it could be like I just, it's, it'd be like, just like I never did anything selfish, just like I never sinned. In fact, it can be like, just like I always obeyed. Because if I'm getting Jesus' righteousness accredited to my account, that's what it's like. So he offers a trade to you. Your track record. All the things you've done wrong exchanged for his track record, everything he's done right, so that someday you can stand before God, not ashamed or standing there in guilt, but standing there in freedom and love and joy because there's nothing between you and him because all of that has been washed away because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you. I'm going to pray this prayer. I invite you to repeat it after me. And for some of you, it might be the very first time you're committing your life to Christ. And if that's you, um, oh man, all heaven is waiting to celebrate. Would you repeat this after me? Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, if you, if that's, you prayed that prayer for the first time, it, and it's not, it's not about the words, it's about what God is doing in your heart. You're saying a big, great big yes to God that you're willing to follow then tell somebody. Maybe, you're, maybe you came with somebody who'd be happy to hear that. If you don't know somebody who you could tell, find me. I'm the guy in the white shirt in the foyer. And tell me. I'll be thrilled. Yeah.